All right. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. As always, our official sponsor is Running Aces, Racetrack, Casino, and Hotel. And our other sponsors are Learn Pro Poker and Website Amp. In this chats edition of the podcast, we're going to hang out with Dara O'Kearney. Uh, he's an Irish author, professional poker player. You guys know who he is. Uh, mega runner, ultra runner, uh, crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, excited to chat with him again. Uh, let's first introduce our panel. My name is Steve Fredland. I go by Rec Poker Steve in our Poker Stars home game. And I love what Penn Gillette said. He said, poker has the feeling of a sport, but you don't have to do push-ups. I love it. <laughs> Uh, and I'm Chris Jones, 5x5 five five on Twitter and Poker Stars, and I've been reading a lot of sci-fi lately, and uh, this is a quote for all you Nash Equilibrium fans. Uh, Ursula Le Guin wrote, to light a candle is to cast a shadow. Oh. Nice. Another fantasy uh, callback for Rob and I. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I'm Jim Reed, uh, Blusterini in the home games, and I'll just say that you got to know when to play your hand versus your opponent's range and when to play your range against your opponent's range. Good luck with that. <laughs> and I'm John Somsky, Poker Geek MN everywhere, and I would just like to remind everyone to have fun while you play. I'm uh, Rob Washam, and I'm Radman50 everywhere. And if you don't have 15 minutes a day to meditate, you need to meditate for an hour a day. Nice. I love it. That's genius. All right, guys. Uh, one quick thing before we jump in. Uh, if you are a paid member, I know there's a bunch of you out there, you're paid premium members. When you play your home game on Tuesday nights with us on PokerStars, join the Zoom call. It's free with your membership. Uh, you jump in there. Uh, a bunch of us paid members are out there harassing each other over Zoom while we play. And every once in a while, uh, we get some special guests that drop by, uh, some great poker personalities that stop by and say hi. So it's a really a fun time. Uh, we call it the online play and hang, uh, or OPA for short. Uh, and it's part of being a member. So uh, jump in there if you're not already doing that on Tuesday nights. Uh, so with that, let's bring him in, uh, Dara O'Kearney. Uh, how are we doing, young man? Doing well. Delighted to be back. Uh, really enjoyed the last time. Looking forward to this. Um, it's fair to say it's a good bit later here than it is where you guys are, but uh, I'm a night owl anyway, so it's all good. Is that about one thirty in the morning or what time is it for it's you? It's 12.30. 12.30. Oh, that's nothing. Yeah. That's nothing. Right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for somebody who's as crazy as an ultra runner, I mean, 12.30 in the morning, what is that? No, no, it's 12.30 after midnight. Right, yeah, yeah. I call that the morning. Oh, the morning, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I know, maybe, okay, so Ireland's maybe different. Maybe that's noon, uh, midnight is noon for you. I mean, maybe it's oh, always confusing. Ireland's different. Ireland's <laughs> different. Ireland is very different, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so, well, yeah, no, when you say morning, I think, I, I automatically assume of the, of the midday one being uh, Yeah, morning, I, I think but, poker but players right, generally. Technically, this is, this is morning. <laughs> 2 a.m. for poker players is still evening, I think, is how that works for, for yeah. a lot of those folks. Well, let's let's catch up a little bit. How, how have you been since our last time, last time we chatted? I think we were talking about uh, the other book at the time, The Poker Satellite Strategy, and since then we've got a new book. So maybe just catch us up a little bit. What's life been like for you? Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, like everybody else probably listening, I've been very much confined to home quarters. Uh, in fact, I said to my wife this morning that uh, – I haven't been out without three miles of my house um, since March. Uh, nice. Last poker tournament was just before lockdown started here. Um, I was over in London for a, for a, a tournament by, by, by my sponsors, came back, we immediately went into lockdown. And since then, I've basically been at home. Um, I've been playing a lot online and doing the other stuff that I do as well, uh, the, the podcast, the chip race. Um, mm -hmm. We also started a spin-off show from that for YouTube uh, called The Lock-In um, to sort of capitalizing the fact that we had more spare time um published the second book in june um pko poker strategy and i've also been playing a lot online and uh doing a lot of coaching online poker it definitely in the early days of lockdown uh, got sort of a huge boost as people who maybe hadn't hadn't played for years um exclusively live players suddenly had no option but to uh, if they want to keep their poker fix going to play online so we did see the numbers grow very rapidly at the start um i think they tapered off again after a while as people realized that maybe online isn't exactly live poker but uh, mm -hmm. yeah with the, I've, I've basically played more online this year i would say than than i have in the last six or seven years 
Well, let's talk a little bit about the COVID thing. Obviously, that's what we're all talking about. And I did see, uh, you know, Ireland's kind of even more restrictions now. You've kind of hit that second peak, uh, the yeah. second wave of things, and even some travel restrictions there. So, you know, us us in the States or maybe Jim in Canada or some the people that are listening generally have a good feel for what it's like in their area. But tell us a little bit about what this, what this journey has been like for the people of Ireland. Yeah, well, I, I mean... At the start, we we were obviously looking at the examples of our fairly near neighbours, uh, places like France and Spain, where it was really, really badly out of control. And people were kind of scared that the same thing was going to happen here. So the government acted very quickly and introduced and went straight uh, to a fairly severe lockdown, which thankfully was very effective. And our numbers stayed relatively low. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's still obviously very sad that over a thousand people died, but compared to other countries, we got off relatively lightly. Um, I think that's because there was a fairly quick response and the public also adhered to the guidelines really well. Um, then basically summer came and, and you know, the, it had almost disappeared. So everybody relaxed, lockdown restrictions were relaxed, the travel bans were all relaxed. Um, and we actually allowed tourists in from, uh, from all over the world, basically. Um, so it's probably not too surprising that we're unfortunately now going into a second wave and it seems somewhat out of control again, uh, similar to how it was at the start. So the government actually announced today that they're going back to um, the most severe, what they call level five lockdown for the next six weeks. Um, we're hoping that that will get the situation back under control again. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, obviously we have some advantages in that we're in Ireland, um, but the way I see it, this is a global pandemic. So, you know, until it's gone pretty much on a worldwide scale, we're never, you know, it's always going to come back. Like as soon as we relax the restrictions and allow people to come in or allow people to go out and come back, you're going to have the same problem. So that's kind of where we are now. Um, I'm very lucky in that I'm one of the least affected people by it and that mm-hmm. I can do my work pretty much all of it, apart from live poker from home. So I feel very fortunate on on that front. And I know from talking to other friends who have normal jobs, they're definitely far more affected. Um, I think it's been tough for people as well because it's almost like this year hasn't happened for a lot of people. Yeah. They've been they've been confined to home. They haven't been able to do their normal lives. So I think the first lockdown there was in Ireland, there was a very strong sense that people were, yeah, let's just get this done with it's necessary. But it's, no, it's noticeable second time around, there's a lot more um, people not that keen to go back into lockdown. Mm. People are arguing that uh, we just have to get on with it and, um, you know, learn to live with it or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I think the second lockdown is going to be a lot tougher on people. Yeah, I I think so. I was reading a bit about it today. I'm like, I I love a lot of the restrictions that are put in place, the the travel stuff. But yeah, I think everybody gets fatigued, right? Even, you know, those of us who've been trying to be really disciplined, it's, it's hard. And like you said, it's kind of the year that didn't happen, but it's also the year that's lasted for a decade. Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, in some ways it feels like the year just flew by because uh, I went out for a run today and as I was coming back to our estate, it was getting dark and I, I realized we're not actually far off from seeing people put up Christmas lights now. Right. And it's feel, it literally only feels like a few weeks since I last saw the Christmas lights. It feels like the year has just flown by because every day is kind of the same and uh, that sort of plays tricks with your mind. Um, and I, I mean, again, I do feel fortunate in that, like, I think my natural personality kind of suits me for this, but I'm not as greatly affected. But I know some people who are, you know, very depressed about the situation and understandably, because it's, it's, it's made a big, bigger difference to their day-to-day lives. Yeah, from, from a work perspective, I'm like, this is fantastic. Like, nobody's expecting me to go to meetings. I can just do it over Zoom. So, so it's great, but it's, it's, a, it's a huge impact. So, well, let's, let's talk. Thanks for sharing some of that. Let's talk a little bit about the chip race. Talk about, you know, what's going on there. Uh, for those of you who are out there listening in Rec Poker World, if you're not aware of it, fantastic podcast, the chip race. Uh, tell us what's going on there. Yeah, we pretty much just kept 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 that going as we planned. We had planned to make uh, I think it was twenty one shows in the cal- in the in the year from February to to the next February. Um, so we we've kept on pace with that. Um, but what we did was when when we were traveling more, we used to put them out in batches. So we would do three or four, and then we take a few weeks off. Um, but this time we decided since everybody's stuck at home, we tried to be more regular. So essentially, what we've been doing for most of the um the pandemic has been putting one out every two weeks uh so that it's that that is regular but at the same time we're we're just 
shows that we were going to make anyway. So we don't have to sort of skimp on the quality. Um, it's always hard to run down good guests uh, to do all the preparation, etc. Um, so we've, we've kept it going on that front. We, we Our next show is coming out next week, I think. Um, and that's got um, Max Silver and Melissa Burr as the uh, as the two guests uh, it's it's already been recorded but we, we haven't put it out yet because we kind of had time on our hands and like a lot of what we do for our sponsor unibet is sort of um meet and greets at uh, events that they run and obviously they were unibet were one of the first people to realize there would be no live events this year and they and they cancel them all so to kind of uh, give them more value we started the secondary show which we also put out fortnightly the lock-in um, which the initial concept was just uh, a YouTube show where it's just myself, David, and a guest shooting the breeze for about an hour. It's meant to be kind of more topical uh, and more throwaway than, say, the chip race. The chip race, we kind of feel like people could go back and listen to a show from four or five years mm-hmm. ago and they still get a lot out of it. You know, it has strategy content in it. It had, the the interviews try to be timeless. The only piece really in the in the main podcast that isn't timeless is obviously the news, but that's just a short segment, which I think most people skip anyway. <laughs> but uh, the idea of this was more it was just we talk about whatever was going on in the poker world at the time uh, with the guest, um, sort of more t- more topical, more current. Um, we've been putting that out every fortnight as well in the weeks where there is no chip race going out. So basically, from the point of view of listeners of the show. Something goes out every week now. Um, as I said, it was initially only YouTube only, but uh, so many of our listeners are creatures of podcasts and they kind of wanted it made available. So now it's available on uh, iTunes and, uh, and the other places where the chip race is available. Um, so if people don't want to see our ugly faces, uh, they can away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was just gonna make a. I was just gonna make a what? joke about David's ugly face. Then you totally beat me to it. There. I've been waiting for a chance to slag on David in his interview. God, w- one of the things you can do with the lock-in is you, is you, you can watch it sequentially and you can see David just gradually get bigger and bigger and bigger on screen as the as the lock-in gets in. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, uh, yeah, I think. I, I I was very very wary of doing uh, this this show. I have to say because I always felt a part of the um, pleasure of the chip race was that people didn't actually have to see us. Uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, ho- hopefully more more people are, are listening to us on iTunes than than on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I got I'm going to put John Somsky on the spot because he we've we've talked about our audience listening. Like like John is one of these guys. He listens to podcasts at like two and a half x speed or more. I don't even know. John is. Is the chip race one of those that you can do? Can you listen to the Irish accent two and a half X or what do you do there? It, no, that one, I slow down a little bit. <laughs> when, when I first start uh, listening to someone with a, a foreign accent, I start off a little slower, but over time you can get up and listen at it yeah. two and a half, 2.7. Wow. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, Chad McVean said the same thing to us. He said uh, that he listens to all of his podcasts at speed, but at the beginning he couldn't do that with us, but he got used to it over time. So yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. I, I think I, I think we need to start doing a segment where John Somsky impersonates the guest at two and a half X. <laughs> well, I can only imagine what David sounds like because he's already quite high pitched. <laughs> well, all of the programs they adjust the the uh, pitch. So ah, okay, file, okay, that's right. Faster. So, so it's not it's like not the old-fashioned chipmunk. chipmunk sound. No, right? no, it's not the Dang chipmunk it. sound at all. It's more like you're just really talking really fast, and you don't very have have very many pauses in what you're saying, and all the space that's between the words are taken out, so that everything's very, very fast. Okay, nice. that makes sense. That was pretty good, but now I want to hear the chipmunk version. Maybe, next, maybe next. <laughs> well, maybe we'll splice some of that in later. <laughs> here's what here's what they really sound like. Well, well, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk. Let's talk about the book now. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, like the, the year that lasted a decade, you know, we got the new book out there. And so, you know, whether let's let's talk first a little bit about um, the the other one, the poker satellite strategy. I know when we talked about it, it was going really well. Uh, yeah. I guess now that that chapter, you know, people can still buy the book and I encourage you to do it. But now that that chapter is kind of closed, talk a little bit about, you know, retrospectively looking at that book and then how that moved yourself into the PK, PKO book. 
Yeah, sure. Well, obviously, Satellite was the first book that that, that, that I'd ever done. Not the first that Barry had done. Barry had had, had produced a couple of books with um, Jared Tendler, Mental um, mm-hmm. Game Poker One and Two. So he kind of been through the process and he kind of prepared me for it. But to be honest, we had no idea how the, how the book would be received. You never really know. And he uh, very successfully dampened my expectations, giving me telling me like what the average poker book sells, which is not very much. How quickly <laughs> it kind of disappears from you know people people typically buy it in the first four to six weeks and then it just uh, mm. more or less disappears so I, I it's fair to say i had very low expectations and i was really just more geared on i wanted people to get value from the book rather than um how well it was going to sell now thankfully it did uh, exceed uh, expectations very comfortably and actually it's still selling very well um even now like every it's 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 a it's kind of surprising to me because it's been, it's been out for 18 months now or whatever it is you would think most people who wanted the book would have it already but but no it is still selling every month um so that was a very positive experience and also the the, the reaction to it was really good um both in terms of people telling us what they thought of the book and also you know people leaving amazon reviews and stuff like that so that was a really positive experience so um we kind of decided we were going to do a second book anyway and we were we 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 kicked around a few ideas and the reason why we settled on pkos was similar to satellite um satellites there wasn't much content out there um in fact i think it's probably i think uh, I believe it's the first book on PKOs. Um, there's also not just a, not a ton of content out there in general because they, they, they are a very recent format. But at the same time, it's a format which is really catching on uh, online um, more so than live. So it was slightly different on a number of fronts. First of all, like Satellite was obviously aimed at both live players and online players because you can play Satellites both live and online and essentially it's the same uh, strategy. PKOs are predominantly an online beast, um, so it's a it's 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 a smaller audience to begin with. It's it, it's uh, it's online players, but on the other hand, uh, and and another difference is obviously satellites were my bread and butter for going back almost ten years. Uh, they were a format that I was considered to be. Um, exceptional in so it wasn't that hard to sell an idea of me writing a satellite book. Um, PKOs because they're relatively new there are no really established experts in them and I certainly wasn't expert at the start uh, so for me there was a lot more I was learning as we went and if I were to look back at the first drafts that we produced uh, there's a lot there's a lot of stuff in there which just didn't make the make the end product because as we went um, my ideas changed on PKOs and mm-hmm. the best way to uh, to tackle them um, so there, there, there was a couple of dead ends along the way. There was a lot of learning for me as well, which was fine because I had kind of realized that PKOs were going to be the dominant online poker format. Um, so I wanted to switch to them anyway. So this is work I would have been doing anyway for my own benefit uh, to sort of learn PKOs. But yeah, a lot of work with the solvers. So typically what I would do is I'd go away, run a, run a lot of simulations, work out some sort of conceptual framework to explain stuff. And then I'd explain it to Barry. Um, and uh, if I could explain it to Barry, then the idea was we had something which could go in the book because um, people, people would be able to read that without having to run the hundreds of hours of simulations that I had run. So it was a lot more labor intensive from my perspective. But at the same time, as I said, it's kind of work that I would have been doing anyway because uh, PKOs are kind of taking over online. I wanted to just jump in and make sure all our listeners are on the same page here uh, as we kind of jump in. And, and can you just talk about what is a PKO and, and why yeah. do you think they're so growing and to be so popular? Yeah, that's a really good uh, question. I mean, they, they actually have different names as well, which kind of adds to the confusion. Uh, PKO is probably the most common name. It, it's, it's a progressive knockout. And the idea is that every time you knock a player out of a tournament, uh, everybody starts with a bounty on their head, which is usually half of the buy-in. So if you're playing a $100 tournament, $50 goes uh, on bounty and $50 goes into the normal prize pool. If you knock somebody out at the start, you win an immediate $25 and $25 gets added to your head, um, to your bounty. So your bounty is $75 rather than uh, 50. And then if somebody knocks you out, they get thirty-seven fifty, and thirty-seven fifty goes on to your other head. So that's the idea of progressive. The the the, the, the get progressively larger. 
Um, as I, I, I said it has a couple of different names. Progressive knockout is the one which kind of was used the most at the start, but now you'll sometimes see them referred to as bounty builders, um, which again is the same idea. Everybody starts with a bounty and the bounties build over time. You also have some geographical terms in the UK. They're sometimes referred to as headhunters or scalps, um, but but they're all the same idea. A certain percentage of the prize pool, usually half, uh, goes to the, the knockout pool, and uh, that rewards people for knocking people out. The other half goes to the normal. So you're kind of playing two different tournaments. You're trying to knock people out because you win immediate money uh, when you do that, um, in addition to the, to the the chips that you get, and that that fundamentally changes the strategy. There's a lot of spots where you know you would have a hand which you would never consider calling, but if the guy is shoving for you know a quarter of a starting stack, and he has a large bounty on his head, then you. You know, it might be a situation where you don't even have your cards. You just have to call because of, because of the bounty. So a lot of the strategic adjustment is kind of knowing how much wider you have to go because of the bounty. And we spend a lot of time in the book explaining that. Um, and, you know, normally when normally online players in particular have a fairly good idea of how much equity a hand has against a typical shoving range. So, you know, they... They know that ace king in most spots is a call against a shove for a relatively short small, from a short stack, but they they know and they know the seven two off is a fold. But the difficulty with uh, the bounty builders or PKOs as they're called is the um, you know sometimes seven two off is a call. You have to work out like how much additional uh, equity you have to add in because of the P, because of the bounty element. As to why they're so popular, I mean they. I believe they first appeared on the scene about five or six years ago on a French site, Winamax. Um, and I mean, they were just incredibly popular. Uh, and the same pattern has followed everywhere, every on, every major online site where they've been introduced. At the start, there tends to be sort of resistance. People go, oh, this new format, I don't know about this. But as soon as people try it, they absolutely love it. Um, they, they literally do spread like wildfire. Uh, I was thinking about this on my run today, actually, when I, I, I was running in my local park and I saw a gray squirrel. Now, when I was young, you didn't see gray squirrels. You saw red squirrels because they were, they, they were native to, to Ireland. The gray squirrels came in at some later point, but once they were introduced, they became the dominant form because they're more aggressive than the red squirrels, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they kind of took over. So exact same thing has happened with PKOs on every single site that's brought them in. They start as a sort of a small minority and they just spread. Uh, you can see now when you go on, you know, main poker stars over half the tournaments are PKOs or bounty builders. Um, GG is the most recent site where this a, a similar phenomenon has happened. It's not difficult to see why they're so popular. Uh, first of all, I think for recreations, they're just far more fun. There's the instant gratification when you knock people out of getting a prize. They incentivize you to play looser, which is more fun anyway. I mean, who who who, who enjoys having to fold ninety percent of hands? Um, the and and a lot of the things I think which people don't enjoy about online poker actually kind of go away in PKOs. For, for example, when you're short stacked in a normal tournament and you're anywhere near the money, you're very heavily incentivized to stall every hand um, to try and ladder, um, and that's really painful. Like if you're playing an online tournament and literally seven out of the nine people on your table are st are taking thirty seconds a minute to fold pre-flop or to t on every single decision. That just sort of ruins the user experience. In a, in a PKO, when you're short stacked, you're not incentivized to do that. You're incentivized to double up as quickly as possible to get yourself back into a situation where you, where you can start competing for bounties. So you just don't see the same degree of stalling. Uh, so, so, so that's another thing which um, is much better in PKOs. And I think uh, a, a friend, uh, I didn't actually think about this until recently, uh, but, but a recreational friend who, 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 who did move across to playing PKOs said that that was actually one of the biggest factors for him. He enjoyed so much just being able to play, you know, a nice, loose, gambly style, nobody stalling, everybody playing fast. It's just a much better user experience. And I, th I think that's been another reason. Um, I also think that if you have sort of any inkling of what the strategy is, you can actually have very, very big edges in it. And I know a couple of uh, recreation players that I coach who are, who, who are absolutely crushing PKOs um, because another factor which has happened is like <clears throat> a lot of pros have resisted moving across to them because, you know, they, they've spent years perfecting in inverted commas, normal tournament strategy. And on the chip race, we've interviewed a, a, a few absolute beasts like Feraldo and um, Marty Mattis to name, but 
but two, and they said they don't like PKOs. They don't want to play them because they just, you know, that's not what they're used to. They're, they're used to the normal tournaments. So I think the, uh, the player pools are also softer because of that. A lot of uh, the better players have resisted moving across. A lot more recreations are jumping in because they're more fun. So I think it's a combination of all those factors, which is why it's, it's proven so popular. Yeah, I, I've been playing uh, knockouts for, it feels like a long time, and it, it definitely suits my playing style better than just a freeze-out ICM where it's all at the top. I think one thing that's nice for recreational players or for recreational player pools is that it also kind of flattens the curve a bit on the payouts because yeah. you're instead of all the money being up in the top two or top three, um, you're getting more of those pseudo-min caches or you know double-ups or triple-ups. Um, so it kind of keeps that money in the recreational part of the pool, which, which I think is good for everybody. That, that is definitely good for everybody. That's a really good point. And I think that's why the sites love them. The sites may not have realized this at the start, but you know, one thing sites always worry about from an ecosystem point of view is uh, how quickly does money disappear out of the system. And if you have a format where it's very top heavy and the pros have a massive edge, then the rest of the field is just going to get uh, clobbered very quickly and deposits disappear. But with uh, PKOs, you know, you knock somebody out, you, 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 you've effect, you effectively get money, some money back. So player deposits last much longer. The money circulates more. Um, it's just better for the ecosystem overall. Yeah, and there's still a lot of money at the top because when you oh, take sure, out yeah. the second place player, usually they've got a lot of bounties by then and you know like it still concentrates a lot of money the bounties get bigger as you go along which is a really nice innovation from just the old-fashioned knockout tournaments that were not progressive uh where you just got a piece the same piece every time yeah it um, also felt a bit weird when you knock the the guy out last in one of those tournaments and you got your 50 dollars <laughs> thing whereas now, now as you said like in some of the big runner fails it can be it can be absolutely massive uh and in fact like at the start it, it, it made it so that um the difference between coming first and second in a in a pko was 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 absolutely huge because there was a difference from between first place and second place money anyway and then if you knock the guy out you got his bounties and you kept your own bounties uh, so, 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 so that made heads up absolutely massive. And when I was, uh, when I told a friend of mine, Jack Sinclair, uh, that I was writing a book on PKO strategy, he said, well, all you have to do is tell people to win the tournament because it's so important to win the heads up, uh, just write a book on heads up. But, uh, that's, um, but, but the sites are kind of realized that now. So most PKOs, when you look at them first and second players, prize money is the same. And that's to sort of readjust for that, but it's still huge. Like when, at the end of a, obviously it depends on the number of runners, but if you have a PKO with over a thousand runners, by the time the two guys get heads up, they'll have a significant amount of bounties they'll be playing for. Um, so it makes the heads up really important. So, so yeah, I think for, go ahead, Jim. sorry. Yeah, thanks. Well, for players like me, you know, I have this problem where my chips are kind of like magnetically attracted to the middle of the table. It doesn't matter if they're getting shoved in or if I'm calling, it just, they seem to end up in the middle of the table all the time. Um, so I feel like that style kind of favors my play a little bit. Could you give me a couple just entry-level tips for how to adjust to playing in knockouts? I know just paying attention to short stacks and widening ranges, but is there something in particular that I can look for to, to become a better player? Yeah, well, what I would say is one, one very common misconception people have is that the bounties are more significant at the end of the tournament than they are at the start. And it's actually the other way around. If, if you knock somebody out in the first hand, you get back a quarter of buy-in. Um, and you've, you, you, you've only risked one starting stack to do that. So that, that, that's pretty, a pretty hev, hefty uh, uh, bonus for knocking somebody out. So again, we go into this in detail in the book, but what, essentially what that means is that if somebody moves all in, you know, whatever price you're getting, if you work out that you, you normally need, let's say 50% equity, if it's uh, just you against him to call, because of that bounty that would, uh, just reduce down to, that'll that'll come down to 44 or 45 percent so there'll be a much wider range of hands that you can call with he'll also probably be shoving wider because he, he can win your bounty as well so at the start bounties are very significant and then obviously when somebody gets really short it can make such a massive difference like if a guy is, is down to let's say a quarter of a starting stack and he still has a starting bounty um, now you're basically getting a, like a 15% what we call bounty discount. Uh, so instead of needing 50%, you only need 35%, which is moving as close to any two, any two cards being a call. So at the start, they're very significant. At the end, the numbers will be quite big, but so will the number of chips. So what you're actually risking is, 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 
is in real terms much more. And that's probably the biggest mistake I see a lot of players make at the end. They, they adjust too much for the bounties, but at that stage, ICM starts to be a much bigger factor. Um, and as you said, like, if you can win the tournament, that's absolutely massive because you'll get you, all of your bounties and the, and the guy that you knock out in second place. So really your strategy towards the end should be just f- sort of focusing on trying to win the tournament rather than, oh, that guy's got a big bounty, I'll, I'll, I'll call him off fairly light um, and that'll, that'll damage my thing. So that, I would say that's the biggest thing. Realize that at the start, you're incentivized to gamble. And when, when, we, wrote, um, <laughs> when we wrote Satellite, I said, at some, at some point in the book, I said that some players write to me about satellites and they say, I seem to be bubbling a lot of them. And, and I always say, well, then you're probably playing them right. The best players bubble satellites more than, than, than other players because they get to the end quite a lot. They understand that it's just about sort of essentially min-caching rather than trying to win the tournament. And, you know, it won't always work. So you, you will bubble quite a lot. Um, so if you see somebody who's made, who is um, bubbling a, a lot of satellites, that's a very good player. Um, I I was lucky enough to win uh, Poker Stars UK IPT online qualifier the year two years running. The only two years they ran it um, because I won more satellites on on stars that, that year than anybody else. But I also bubbled more satellites than anybody else. Um, that's kind of a hallmark of a good satellite player. PKOs are the opposite. If you're not busting a lot of PKOs in the first level. Um, you're definitely not playing them correctly. Uh, the biggest mistake you can make is obviously play them like satellites where you sort of eke through the tournament. You don't knock anybody out, then you're short and, uh, and, and you're just not competitive. You kind of have to realize that you're playing two tournaments or it's a bit like a, a split pot game where you compete. Anytime you cover somebody, you're competing for two pots. You're competing for the chips that are actually there, but you're also competing for his bounty. Um, and that, 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 that sort of changes the strategy. But, at, but as I said, as you go through the tournament, even though the bounties will get bigger relative to the amount of chips that are being risked, it'll get smaller. So usually by the end, it's not a very big um, consideration. One, one question I had was um, whether, you know, I, obviously we're living in a world where this is probably not possible, but, you know, if we get back to a place where live poker becomes much more of a thing, and given the popularity of this and growing popularity of this online, um, have you seen this tried in the live sphere and do you think we'll see more of it in the live sphere? Yes, I have seen it uh, tried in the live sphere. The traditional knockout tournaments, which are not progressive where everything, they've been around forever because it's easy. You just give everybody a chip and they cash that in at the end. You know, every time they knock somebody out, they get that player's chip and they, and they just cash them in. But the progressive element obviously makes it more difficult having to compete, uh, have the bounties. But with the technology, it's not actually that difficult now. Um, I was, the, one of the last events I went to was the Unibet Open in Dublin and they actually had a side event which was a live progressive uh, um, knockout and I spoke to the tournament director and he, he had it all worked out very well he said like what you can't do is you can't give players extra chips like cash chips um, because you know, I mean, poker players are always looking for an angle, and if they're moving tables, some of the pot, some of the chips will get slipped into the pocket, and they'll arrive at the new table, and suddenly they have a starting bounty again. Uh, so that's <laughs> that's something which he was aware of. So uh, he said, just you just don't let the players handle the bounties at all; you leave it up to the dealer. Um, so the dealer has uh, an iPad with everybody's uh, bounty r- 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 um, connected to the central tournament clock. Um, so if you arrive at the table, they just say, okay, what's your name? You give them and then, and then they know what your bounty is and anybody can ask what it is. Um, and then, uh, and yeah, so, so it's, I think it's relatively easy to do. Whether or not it catches on, I mean, I'm not as sure that it will be as massively popular uh, live because I think live poker is different. So people kind of like being in a tournament for a long time. So I think a format which kind of incentivizes everybody to just push all the chips in the middle in the first orbit uh, doesn't necessarily suit the live, a lot of live players. I think a lot of live players will just say, no, I don't want to play that. That, just, that sounds too gambling. Uh, they may catch on eventually, but I think it'll be a lot slower. I think online, as soon as you get people to just try them, they like them um, nine times out of 10. So it's very easy to get people hooked on them. But, but live, I think there'll be more resistance. Yeah, me and Chris and Rob and John, we're going to drive to Running Aces. We're going to sit down there, and there's Bluffsterini Jim shoving all in every first hand. <laughs> and I don't want to drive back home, and I don't want to do six buy-ins. 
versus yeah. online, maybe maybe I will. So yeah, just I think that, another one. Yeah, that would be yeah. interesting. That, that's a screen name, Bluffsterini. So yeah, this is PKO yeah, is set up just perfect for Zoom. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm kind of curious. Switch, switching gears a little bit, just because we're getting close to time. I, there was one question I really wanted to ask, which was kind of all of all the different stuff that you're doing. So you're you're playing poker, you're coaching, you're writing, you're podcasting, probably other things that we haven't talked about. What, what do you love doing more than anything? And I, I know you're probably gonna say, I love all of it because that's the right answer. But is there anything that just, man, when I do that, I just, I just love that at this stage in your life. Uh, from the moment I took up poker and, and the answer really hasn't changed. The thing I really love above everything else is playing online poker. Um, I just absolutely love it. And that hasn't changed at all down the years. When, when I fire up a session and I have all the tables in front of me, I'm just completely immersed in it and mm. I, I absolutely love it. I love the challenge of keeping track of everything, trying to work out what my strategy has to be in every situation, situations coming up that I have to think about. And maybe I, I'm not sure what I, uh, if what I did is correct. So I kind of make a note that I need to review that hand afterwards. I love that whole process. And, you know, I play the number of tables that I need to play. So that just constant action, as much as I love live poker, the main thing I like about live poker is meeting people and the interaction and the whole social element. I find the actual experience of playing live poker quite uh, slow. Um, mm. You're playing, you know, 22 hands an hour or whatever it is compared to when I'm playing online, I'm playing 12 tables, uh, which <laughs> probably works out at about 500 hands an hour. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> 25 hours of live poker, I play the same number of hands as I would in one hour of online. So for somebody who just, the main, the main um, attraction for me about poker has always been as a sort of a puzzle game, just trying to work out what the strategy is and why. Um, and, and, uh, and that's best expressed um, by, me, by me playing online. I enjoy the other stuff as well. Like obviously when I'm coaching, I'm, I'm explaining strategies to people when I'm writing it's, it's, it's similar. Um, and the, the part of the chippers I enjoy the most is the strategy corner. But, uh, but yeah, for me, nothing, absolutely nothing beats just playing online poker. And for the first few years I played, I actually found it really, really difficult to take days off um, because, you know, it, it would come to the time where I normally play and I would think, okay, well now I can do anything. What do I want to do? And the, the honest answer was I want to play online poker. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of realized, you know, last few years that I can't really do that. I can't just play every single day. Um, that why, why not? Um, I won't play quite as well. Let's say now, I, I, I think 10 years ago, the general standard was so low and the edge of the average uh, pro over, over the field was so large that even if you weren't playing optimally playing, you know, 16 tables, 10 hours a day, every single day, it didn't really matter because you were printing money uh, in the long term. Now standards have risen generally. I mean, everybody plays much better uh, right across the board. Um, players who play absolutely uh, atrociously can tend to disappear very quickly from the ecosystem because they just lose their money too fast. So the people that you see around, I mean, I would say that there are recreational players that I know now who play better than players who are probably top 20, 30 in the world 10 years mm. ago. That's how much the standards have risen. Um, uh, so because of that, you, you kind of have to pay attention, more attention to those stuff, making sure that you're fresh every time you play, making sure, uh, you're not autopiloting and, and, and that stuff. So these days I try to play five days a week and, and take two days off. And I kind of view them as similar to when I was a runner, they're necessary rest days rather than, um, anything else. It, it really stinks for me because I started playing poker like 10 years ago and all I ever hear is, boy, 10, 15 years ago, it was like printing money. And I'm like, I never got a chance to experience those days when everybody was, now I'm the guy that everybody's taking advantage of, but I never had a chance to enjoy what that was like back then. Yeah, I, th- I think no matter when you started, I mean, I started 2007, I think, and people say to me, oh, 2007, it was already over. You needed to start in 2004. Okay. That's when it was really, really soft. So it's, 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 it, it has kind of changed over the years, but I mean, in some ways, it's, I mean, obviously, general standards are much higher these days. Um, so you can't uh, win just by having a fairly basic fundamental knowledge of strategy. But, but on the other hand, there's so much content out there compared to what there was. Like when mm-hmm. I started, you know, there was a couple of books. Um, most of them weren't particularly good. Uh, this, this was all pre-training videos, pre, um, pre-solvers, pre-all that stuff. So it was actually quite difficult to learn the game. You had to kind of figure it out on your own. Um, and, and, and that was a sort of a barrier of entry. Um, whereas now, you know, I, I sometimes take on students and, 
you know, we do the first session to try and assess their level and, you know, they're, they're already, they're already at a really high level. You know, mm. we're talking about, Oh, I ran the simulation and it seemed to indicate this or whatever. So <laughs> they're at a really high level. And then I say to them, how long you've been playing? And they go like, Oh, four months. <laughs> and it's, it just blows my mind every time because yeah. I, you can, you can, you can, you can advance really fast now. Um, it, providing you obviously put in the work with the content. Love so it. I just have, I, I want to respect your time. I'm going to sneak one more question here because I, I play a lot of knockouts. I play online basically all the time and I love playing poker online. Uh, poker tracker four is a great resource for me. Um, what are some of the other resources that you use to, to multi-table or just to capture your own data while you're playing online or just to make playing online easier, more fun, more profitable? What are the tools and resources you use for that? Sure, yeah. Um, I, use, I use Poker Tracker as well. It, 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 it is a great tool. It's unfortunate in the sense that more and more of the sites are sort of um, moving away from allowing you to use HUDs now because, I mean, obviously they... If, if you're good at using a HUD, they give you some sort of advantage in game, but it, it definitely was never as big as people thought. Um, really, the main thing it allowed you to do is to multi-table more than, uh, and not have to pay attention to every table. But, but a secondary effect of HUDs disappearing is that it gets, it gets harder to review your own play now. Uh, five years ago when I was coaching, if I was reviewing a hand history with somebody, we just went to their poker tracker. Now, more often than not, I'm looking at, uh, they've recorded a video of themselves playing and we're, and we're talking through the spots, and that makes it a lot more difficult. Um, but on the sites that do allow uh, the HUDs, um, I still think it's an amazing learning tool because you can you can you can review your own play uh, either either alone or with a coach. You can look at specific spots, like you can say, okay, I, I think maybe I'm calling too much on the river. So look at the last all the calls I've made in the last three months and see have I made money or lost money on those. See what hands I'm winning money with and losing money with. Like I used to do this regularly throughout my career. Like early on in my career, I saw I was losing. My biggest losing, single losing hand was ace queen off. Um, hmm. And that immediately allowed me to plug the leak of like, what am I doing wrong with ace queen off? What are the situations in which I'm losing? So that's a really good uh, tool. Then I would say uh, the other biggest thing you can do is, is the solvers. Now, the, 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 they can be a little bit daunting at the start, but actually the preflop solvers, uh, ICMizer and Home Resources Calculator are relatively intuitive and easy to use. Um, the postflop solvers uh, like PO and Munker are more difficult. Um, there's another one which doesn't get talked about that much these days, but PokerSnowy I think is actually a really useful tool, particularly for recreationals, um, because it handles all the situations, every stack size, multi-way pots, you know, something like PO only does heads of pots. You can only be two players involved. Um, but Snowy uh, I think is a great way because you can just, you know, you, you can you can drill through it all. You can look at the kind of spots that you think you are, are giving you difficulty. It even allows you to like um, do a mass import of your hands, and it'll pull it'll plug hands that it, it, it think you had a problem with. Um, and that's a really good review tool as well. Um, I've I've been doing that with more and more of my students now, where they just send me uh, their their uh, their database of hands. We pull it into um, Snowy, and then snowy picks out the 20 or 30 hands where it the player did something which it it, it, it thinks was really bad and we uh, and i think that's a really fast way to to plug leaks so i think particularly for recreational players who maybe don't have the kind of time to mess around spending hundreds of hours with po or um or monk or solver i think snowy is 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 something which could make a really big uh difference to your game very quickly Awesome. Well, good stuff. I want, to, I want to respect your time as well. So if you're out there listening, listen to the chip race. If you're not listening to the chip race, start doing it. If you haven't read Poker Satellite Strategy, pick it up, read it. If you haven't read PKO Poker Strategy and you're a PKO player, pick it up, read it. Uh, if you're interested in coaching uh, and, you're, and you're connecting with, with what Dara is saying and, and kind of like his style, reach out to him. I assume he has capacity. If not, he'll, he'll make capacity uh, for the right people. Uh, but, but is there anything else that, uh, that, that you kind of give you an opportunity to plug or just to share with Rec Poker Nation that you kind of wish we had asked about uh, as we wrap up here? No, no, I think we've, we've covered it all very well. I would say on the coaching that it's, it's, it's good in the sense that like my approach to coaching is basically to teach people how to teach themselves rather than just have them ask me every spot for, for, for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. So it's very much sort of figuring out what solvers will work for them, show them how to use it. So most, most people, uh, you know, after three, four, five hours, we're done, basically, um, that they learned all they need to know. So that, that allows me to continually keep... Uh, 
taking on new players, um, which is good as well. Uh, I, I would never want to be one of those coaches who just tries to milk people, right. um, keep, keep keep them on the teeth for long. On the uh, on the other stuff, as I, I mentioned, the lock in we do a lot, we do also put up strategy uh, clips um, on the Chipperis YouTube channel. So there's a lot of really good stuff there. Some of it is uh, animated strategy clips from the main show itself. So, for example, our most recent one, Phil Hammett was talking about um, how he played against Jungle Man and we we add visuals to that so that there's, there's a there's an animated um replayer so people can follow the hand as it goes and listen to us discussing each of the streets and and everything you need to consider uh so we have about 20 of those strategy clips up there we also put other up other strategy content we did a micro stakes hand history review with uh live bateman elron um we've just put up another uh strategy one on PKO specifically where myself and David reviewed a hand history with Barry Carter uh, of a PKO he, he played. So there's a, there's the, and, and, and this is all completely free content. So um, I think that's a good place to, to, to start for people if they just want to get a flavor of what we do. Perfect. Yeah. I forgot to mention the lock-in on YouTube. Make sure you check that out as well. And okay. The last thing then is okay, the single best way for people to reach you is? Um, probably Twitter. Twitter is kind of the central hub for me. Um, I, I have the other social media as well, Facebook and Instagram. I even had TikTok for a while, but I couldn't really figure out what it was for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it didn't seem like a good fit for, for, my, for, for my poker audience. So um, I do have a blog as well, um, which uh, there's over 500 articles on there now. It's been over the course of my entire career. There's, there is some strategy stuff there. There's a free strategy newsletter I put out as well, which you can sign up uh, to from, from the blog. But yeah, I would say Twitter uh, is probably the best place to hit me up. All right. Sounds good. Well, great to reconnect with you. Uh, a lot Absolutely. has happened since the last time we chatted. Hopefully the next, uh, the next bit until we have you on again is a little less uneventful. Well, yeah. Hopefully we're, we're talking about playing live poker, even though you'd rather be online. Uh, hopefully well, we'll I mean, I used to say I didn't miss, uh, I didn't think I would miss live poker if it went away, but I was completely wrong on that front. Yeah, right. <laughs> I do After miss seven months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I need to go on at least on one live trip every five, six weeks, uh, just for balance purposes. Um, uh, definitely being stuck in my house all day. Yeah. Uh, it's not as much fun as I thought it would be, but uh, it's great to see you're all doing well. Um, yeah, we're we're having a blast. We're doing well. We're all like you. We're waiting for live poker to open, and maybe someday our paths will cross uh, in three dimensions uh, at yeah. the World Series or somewhere else. But uh, and until then, man, thank you so much. Uh, you're you're a great friend of the show, and you're doing great things helping recreational players. So uh, hats off to you and David and the work that you're doing there. Thanks, guys. All right, well, Cheers. we're gonna stick Thanks, on Dara. here. Feel free to jump off there, Dara. But uh, sure. fantastic sure. stuff. All right, guys. So let's uh let's kind of okay. let's rehash some of that. What were some of your thoughts uh, from the discussion? Well, I'm just worried he's going to ruin knockouts for me like you ruined satellites for me. What the <laughs> heck, Dara? I, we had a good thing going here in the knockout kingdom, and now everyone's going to know how to play knockouts using their HUD to target short stacks and take their money out of the winner's oh, circle. Thanks screen. a lot, just buddy. Get your chips in the middle. You're fine. <laughs> uh, it's my only strategy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to to read that the book because um it's you know it's it's a format that I've dipped my toe into the water with, but I haven't uh, done it very much. And uh, I have to say, when I did it, I kind of was just like, well, I guess I'll just kind of play like normal, but I suppose I should be a little more aggressive, but really like not really with any sense of strategy or whatever. So I'm, I'm excited to read it and, and be a little bit more polished if I try, try to dip my toe further. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you need to be really, really aggressive right off the bat. And then once you get towards the money or the, the actual payout start, then you start playing normal poker again. So it seems like, uh, yeah, it's kind of, kind of we're doing the game plan, the, the study, you know, that book by Matt Matros. And he has us doing things very aggressively to try to get to the money more often than a normal poker player or a rec player would just kind of just try to see if they can survive. Well, here it's not about that. It's about really amping up that aggression early on to try to get those bounties and then hopefully at the same time you're going to make it into the money yeah yeah it'll be interesting to hear how many people in rec poker nation you know we all get feedback on the show how many are like man yeah this is super good because i play a lot of pko pkos and i think that's something we can adjust for too if we get kind of that kind of feedback like 
Uh, how do we maybe integrate that in with the great John Somsky to figure out how to do a PKO home game or something? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm not even sure if that's an option. It might be, though, now. They've uh, yeah. added a little options to those. I know for me, I used to play a lot of online poker prior to Black Friday. But then after that, it – and I played – if there was a new variant that came out, I tried it <laughs> relatively poor at it. To, you know, once I, once I got to a point where I could start making money at it, I switched to something else. Um, <laughs> Genius. Uh, the difference is I, so I haven't played many of the PKOs, so I'm kind of intrigued by that idea and, and learning how to play them. So that'll well, be interesting. I when, when I'm playing them, I kind of think of it as it's just instead of the tiebreaker being towards disciplined folds, the tiebreaker just puts the thumb on the scales towards getting those chips in. So it's, it's really just for those cusp cases where, and this is just a general rule, like any general rule is going to be wrong a lot. But, um, you know, most people when they're playing in a freeze out typical tournament, the good advice to be, the good advice is just to be like, stay away from those cusp spots because it's not worth it to realize your equity edge. Um, but I just like the idea that there's someone with a thumb on the scale saying, you know what, yeah. just get it in. You just, just get it. You in. just want an excuse to justify. I do. I, oh, full, full disclosure. I love that too. Yeah. Full disclosure. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the only other thing, the only other thing I said, I, uh, the one thing that you can do sometimes, a lot of these knockout tournaments, they start with an anti-structure right from the very beginning. So I, one thing I used to do is I would actually late reg about 10 minutes so that everyone at my table had a few antis out of their stacks that when I sat down, I would cover more of the players there and they wouldn't cover me. I don't know if that's strategically effective because then you miss that chance to get chips on the first round. But uh, that was something that, uh, another yeah. little thought. Yeah. Well, well, good stuff. Obviously we could talk, talk all night on that stuff, but great stuff. Uh, thanks Darv, so, so much for joining us on that stuff. So let, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's, let's talk about our home games, John. What, what, what's happened over the past week or so in that deal? Uh, well, we had our uh, mixed game series on October 14th. We played five card Omaha. And Evil Roy CA won his very first mixed game tournament. Yes, that is a Canadian. Yes, it is. Oh, All right, a Canadian. That was very disappointing how that ended for me. Oh, no. Uh, really? Tell us. You, oh, AI at aces against kings, table. you know, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Oh. It was, it's five card, so anything can happen, but. Made it made a deep run, so I was excited about it because I never really made a deep run in the mixed games. But whatever, good. He's he's a good player. He or she, uh, very good player. Yeah. Always always in there mixing it up. Hey, speaking of Canadians, aren't we owed an anthem at some point? Nope. I ended up apparently <laughs> just died, Chris. It's apparently just died. I think we're just gonna let that one just kind of go. Well, I think we need, what we need to do is we need to keep promoting it as something that's going to like. At first, I thought. It's just, it just it's a weird year. 2020 is a weird yep. year. The year, you know, it didn't happen. I think it doesn't count. We need, no, oh, it counts, Steve. So I think oh. we need to at least do something by Canada Day, which for you, Yanks, is uh, July 1st. And uh, if we haven't done something in the next, you know, six months or so, then we then something that we can like replay on Canada Day, then we really have to go all out for Canada Day, I think. So um thank you good point chris good yeah i think that you. ship has sailed i think it's not gonna happen oh no 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 no. <laughs> okay show of hands who thinks the ship has not sailed muting so the video now it's a democracy yeah <laughs> or is it a re republic okay. <laughs> <keep> moving on <laughs> okay september uh tournament of champions winner Keck Geek 65, nice. Jason, uh, Jacob Keck, maybe. Uh, let's just, let's just mispronounce his name. He's winning too much. Let's just, let's just butcher his name, and maybe he just goes away. Well, I yeah. think I've said it wrong every single time, so I'm hoping. Yeah, I don't know if that's a feature or a bug, but we're on that, Steve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, he won his first uh, TOC tournament. October 12th, Mile High Magic Man, David Phillips, won his third nightly series. Then uh, come Binkley, Eric Jin won his fourth nightly nice. series. Nice. Big Dog Day won his uh, her first nightly series. Finally, Kelly, good job. Always in the mix. Nice work. Abner Jack Burke won his oh. third nightly series. Lefty 19, Mike Buccello, second nightly series. Oops. Uh, Captain Walleye, Rob Adsom won his fourth nightly series. Yeah, the good and Rob, then, as we call him. <laughs> uh, wow. and then we're down to uh, 
Osloberger, Tron Vidar Sinsby, won his third international. He's on a roll. And of course, you know, Doug Drabeck can't take an opportunity (sighs) not to win. So Magra 44 won his second international. Well, I mean, these fields are like, we should like, people that have won more than five home games shouldn't be allowed in those small international. (laughs) We got to find a way to stop Magra's winning. I think it's, you must have made a bet with him earlier in the year that we were going to say his name every week on the podcast in some right. way or another. Because he, he's, so far, he's, I think he's been in here every week, it feels I like. I got to get in there. We got to get in those international yeah. games. Yeah, we got to start. Maybe I just need to suspend him from the <laughs> that group. That, that's the only way I know of to ensure that he stops winning. Yeah, I, seriously, oh. it's, imp- it's an impressive run he's on. Nicely done, Doug, and all the, all the Drabeck clan. Yeah. That's why Way we only give out one, one bronze pin per year. <laughs> Way to go, double D. I always call it double D. I know, and you know, he, he's in the, the Epic League with some of you guys as well. Yeah. Some Our home game, which was supposed to start, I think, last weekend or something, too. Right. Like, oh, somebody sent me a text, like, I'm sure this isn't happening, but just to verify, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's not. Like, oh, sad. I know oh, it. Yeah. Miss live, miss live. I do, too. I do, too. Well, anything well, and, else, John, or? One- one yeah. last uh, notification for people. We are working on, we're going to have a new requirement for the home games. Yeah. So in order to play the home games, you have to have your PokerStars ID recorded in the PokerStars username field on the Rec Poker site. So that means you have to have an account in Rec Poker and the username will have to be there. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to do it in this two-stage approach. Once we figure out what date is our go date, then from that point on, all users will not be approved into the home game unless they have met this requirement. And then starting next year, any existing members who have not met that requirement will be suspended from the, the club until they add their, uh, rec- their PokerStars home game name to their profile. And, and so, it, just to be clear, folks, it's, it's a free membership at rec.poker, and it takes less than 30 seconds to sign up and enter your PokerStars username in your profile field there. And it just makes John and Steve's lives so much easier being able to track that stuff and know who's who and have, getting people's contact information. So you're never going to have to pay to be in the home game. It's really not that uh, big a speed bump, but just come make a free account, put your name in there, and join the club. Yep. Yeah, absolutely love it. Okay. Uh, yeah, so if you have any questions on any concerns, whatever, you can still keep yourself private. Uh, so that's not a concern. But yeah, just get a hold of me if you want. Steve at Rec.Poker, happy to walk you through that. But yeah, it makes makes all of our lives easier so that we can consolidate results, so we know who won, that we can get you the pins, all of that kind of stuff is helpful. Plus, I mean, re- remember, uh, our ultimate vision is to be a community. Like our, our ultimate goal in life is not to be able to create home games that anybody can play. We love that that's a feature of it. And our ultimate goal is not to create a membership that you pay for. And our ultimate goal is not to create seminars. All of that stuff is good stuff, but our, our, is not. Our ultimate goal is to create community. And I think, you know, as we're part of the same community, as we're in the forums together, as we're on Zoom calls, that's what's creating community. So just, we're, we're just trying to be really, uh, really uh, consistent with what our vision is. Uh, all of the other stuff that we have going on is all feeding toward how do we create community, create lifetime relationships, create a positive, you know, an encouraging vibe uh, around that. So um, that's the reason that we're doing any of these changes is to drive greater and greater community. So I'll step off the soapbox, but I just want to be clear on that. That's why we're doing it. We're not trying to make it more difficult. We're trying to add more value to your life. Grab hold, grab hold of the value. Uh, anybody else, uh, what's going on that we need to update our folks on? Chris, Rob, Jim? I guess we could say the next session for the focus is coming up on Wednesday, November 11th. Uh, Chris Jones is leading that session, and uh, we had our first planning meeting where we talked about some opening, uh, pre-flop opening ranges, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So go to rec.poker, check out the study groups, the focus and uh, get involved in that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're do, do already you guys want to give another 30-second overview kind of on what the focus is in case people yeah, so miss The focus it? is, is going to be a, a monthly study group uh, where the group's going to come. If you missed that first session, just join us in November. You didn't, all you missed was some planning and talking about what we want this thing to be, but you can come and help shape that. Um, and so for the first uh, session, we're kicking off talking about pre-flop ranges, and we're going to be talking about 
uh, raising first in or when we put money as the first person to, to act into a pot. We're going to be talking about ranges from various positions. Uh, we've got a good conversation started and everyone's doing some homework. And the idea is really that um, we're going to, it's going to be a lot of independent study that we then come together once a month to have a, a conversation with lots of time to have a conversation around what, what we kind of came up with over that, over that month. So it should and, be really good. And, and I see Kim, for, for one of our members, members right? Kim in the chat. Yeah, one of our premium members, Kim in the chat here is just saying that uh, she's actually working on her ranges right now as we're talking. So I love that part of it where we're just sort of working on this throughout the month, getting together, sharing our results. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, so, so if you're a premium member uh, like, like Kim, you, know, you can be, participate in those conversations. We record them. The videos are made available as part of the archive for the premium members. And you can also jump on these podcasts. Every time we record one of these podcasts, you're a premium member. You jump on here. You can ask questions, engage with the guests, all that stuff. So, you know, you don't have to be a premium member, but there, it does have its benefits uh, there. And if, and if that's something of interest to you, you can actually use the code RECPOKER uh, when you sign up uh, and you get 10 bucks off your first $15 a month payment. So you pay 15 bucks, get 10 bucks off, use the code RECPOKER, try it for five bucks if you don't like it. Go back to your regular free membership. Uh, we think there's a ton of value. And in the meantime, for that month, <laughs> watch as many videos as you can. Uh, Chris Jones, the seminar since when? Since January? Or when When did we start doing those seminars? Like, it's been crazy. Uh, February was our first. February. February it's like first. eight months yeah. of, eight or nine yeah. months of these very, very good uh, seminars that are part of our video archive. So check that out uh, as well. So maybe that, that's enough for tonight, guys. Uh, great stuff, I think, with Dara. Great updates on, on what's going on. John, thanks again for all your work on the home games. It's so much fun. to It's fun and depressing to see who's winning all the time out there, but it's it's mostly fun. Uh, but uh, thanks to you guys. Uh, make sure you check out Rec.Poker. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, Running Aces, Casino Racetrack, and Hotel. Thank you to Website Amp. Thank you to Learn Pro Poker. Uh, thank you to our guest, Dara O'Kearney. Thank you to our panel, Jim Reed, John. <laughs> I'm laughing because Jim forgot to start the music. Uh, Jim Reed, John Sonsky, Chris Jones, and the great Rob Washam. Uh, and we will chat with you guys uh, next week. Take care. Bye.